want to welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well Show. This is your host, Roger Abel. I've got Elias back with us. Uh, Elias welcomed a new little boy, or as our friend Gary Spiker would say, another little taxpayer into society here recently. Thanks for coming back, Elias. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So yeah, I've been off for a couple weeks. So we had, uh, it's our third third kid, so little boy, he's doing good, mom's doing good, and I haven't really gotten in trouble or yelled at since the baby was born, so that's probably as good as it can get for me. I I would tend to probably agree. Any big changes now that you have a household of three, I have a household of two, we're staying at two, but have you noticed any significant changes? No, which... So my oldest is a second grader, so somewhat self-sufficient, right? Other than she can't reach everything in the house. Like some of our dishes are too tall or too high up in the cabinets, but she doesn't require as much work as the other ones. I've actually been really impressed with both of my kids and how helpful they've been. My son, who's three, I was a little worried that he wouldn't really know what to do or be really interested in helping and so far he has so that was that was a pleasant surprise yeah i know one of the things that people um that have kids in general but especially when you go from two to three struggle with is you don't realize there's going to be an extra cost there at some point i mean you've added a third person to your household and you probably don't feel it right away maybe more diapers but eventually when they start needing clothes and shoes and all of those different things it adds another layer of cost. And one thing that I hear from a lot of people for a reason why they waited to start saving for retirement was, hey, I had three or four kids and they took all my money. Not like they They're didn't good. take it, but, you know, kids are expensive. Kids if you are get, expensive. And I think it's not buying the day-to-day -day stuff that's expensive. I mean, there's an incremental cost to that, but you can kind of manage whether you buy the Kraft Macaroni or the Hy-Vee brand or, you know, you can manage those expenses. It's the activities that these kids get involved in today that actually are really expensive. I know um, I've got a da daughter who has voice lessons. She does dance and gymnastics. And I looked at the, the bill for the voice lessons, which is great. We're trying to have her be involved in a lot of stuff. But it was like 220 bucks a month. And for a lot of people, 220 bucks is the difference between it could be the difference between a really comfortable retirement and no retirement. Uh, ab absolutely, it could. And we see we're getting to the age in our house where the oldest. Okay, so we have one in activities. Well, now my son's going to be four. So we're going to sign him up for gymnastics. He won't be four for like another six months. But then I'm just thinking about that because I think and I should know what it, I don't actually know what it costs, but I think we're paying like 30 or $40 a week is what it comes out to for gymnastics. So just that in itself, if we go from 40 bucks a week to 80 a week to have two kids in, gym, in gymnastics, you know, that's really starting to add up. And then and you're going to have three. Yeah. And then we'll have, eventually we'll have a third and everyone wants, you know, we want the same thing everyone else wants. You want your kids to have experiences and learn things and do things and make friends. So it's um it it makes it more difficult, right? But I guess in our situation, if we we're gonna not save or not invest, it would be a and not be a priority. Like when is that ever gonna be a priority if we don't make it one now, right? With kids, it's our life's never gonna get less expensive. There, I mean, maybe in 
25 years. I don't know. Well, but, no, because then you're going to want to enjoy that extra money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it it kind of goes back to there's really never a convenient time to start socking away money for retirement. You know, there's never a convenient time to have kids. There's never a convenient time to save money. You just have to prioritize it. And I, I feel like a lot of people use the kid or the blankets of their kids as, hey, look, I don't have mo money to invest. You don't necessarily have to sacrifice your kids your kids' activities, you just need to make sure you're paying yourself first and prioritize where the money's going. But I think a lot of people that have kids aren't even thinking about this cost. I wasn't thinking about the cost of activities. I mean, it's, honestly, I wasn't. Like, and it's not that big of a deal, but for a lot of people, you start adding two and three kids and two activities a week, you know, you could be spending a thousand dollars a month on kids activities really, really quick easily. And there's other costs that go unnoticed because it's gas to get there. It's your time to it's time consuming to do all those things. And then, so the nights we have gymnastics, well, what ends up happening? We typically would not, if we have groceries in the house, you know, you're going to eat something that's easy to cook. Or if you're pinched on time, Chick-fil-A, yeah, you're going to go through Chick-fil-A. So it's just, and those, even those small costs add up incrementally over time. And I, uh, I have a few friends who just started families recently in the last year or two years. And a lot of times since I was one of the first people to start a family in my real close friend group. So you always get the question, well, what's it like and how's it different? And, uh, for families that use daycare, I've told several people, you, you can actually afford two houses. You just don't know it yet. And then you start paying that daycare bill and you're like, wow, I actually probably could have had a, another mortgage and afforded it. You could. So yeah. I don't know. You, I guess you, you just figure it out as you go. Well, one of the things that got me thinking about this is, um, I read a go banking rate survey and I read that survey, but then I saw another one from go banking too. And it was where $500,000 will last the longest in each, each state in retirement. Like what are the 10 states at 500,000 goes the same, the longest. They also did a survey that said 38% of Americans think you need this much to retire. And 38% of Americans think they will need less than 500,000 to retire. And I started thinking about that and it's why do people believe that? And is it because they really think that's what it's going to take? Or do they believe that's where they can maybe get to? Probably and, has more with what's actually realistic for them to save. And, I, and then that kind of brought me back to, hey, you had a third kid and all these other things mm -hmm. take precedence over getting ourselves to retirement. And, um, you know, the one thing that I've realized, and I've yet to see it happen. Most kids aren't going to help their parents retire. So you need to put an emphasis on saving for retirement, but let's, let's just talk about this briefly, but 500,000, I, I don't know how far that goes. Like, I don't know if people have really thought about what retirement's going to look like. And, and it depends on where you live, obviously, but let's just use our home state of Iowa, how far five, 500,000 can actually go today. So how... It, I mean, it depends on how much you're spending, right? That's the first, the first step. And even looking at this is how much money are you spending? Elias, I'm going to go refer to this, um, go banking rate survey of 
where 500,000 would last the longest. And I know I didn't share this with you. I think I sent an email a couple weeks ago, but here's in Iowa, 500,000 will approximately last you 11 years, eight months and eight days. Assuming you had an annual expenditure, Iowa average of $42,773. So if you had 500,000, earn zero interest, no inflation, no social security check, you're just spending your 500,000 to live on. In Iowa, on average, it would last just under 12 years. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I want people to think about though, 42,000, is that a realistic spending number for retirement? For some people it is. I think it's getting pretty hard to live on $3,500 a month. It is, and the the only retired people doing that now, just the reality of it is if you are retired now and you can and you can uh, afford your lifestyle on that, it what that would signal to me without knowing anything is you probably have no debt, okay? Because how are you going to carry a mortgage and car payments and just keep keep all your other bills under that? So you probably have um, no debt at that point and a pretty modest lifestyle too. You're probably not doing a whole lot of traveling, vacation, going out to eat. I mean, because all of those uh, discretionary spending items, those add up to more than, if you're doing them consistently, you're going to spend more than that. Well, I mean, you just start thinking about it. You have an internet service, you have your cell phones and heat electric. That's going to be a thousand bucks. You're going to get close to that. Mm-hmm. But this is how long 500,000 will last. So how long will 500,000 last if we kind of apply some of the principles in our industry? You know, we believe the best way to figure out how long your money is going to last is to do a financial plan. That's really the way to do it. There's not a one size fits all way to figure out how long your money is going to last in retirement or how much money you need. It could be 500 for one person. It could be a million. It could be three million. Most is dependent upon the lifestyle that you're living today. But if we just take a look at 500,000 from rules of thumb in our industry, rule of thumb historically has been a withdrawal rate of 4%. So what people should be thinking about if you're not going to get a financial plan, you're trying to do this yourself is, well, if I have 500,000 and the safe withdrawal rate is considered four, really 20,000 is all you're going to get from this 500,000 to make this sustainable. Yeah, to make it last. Yeah, so twenty thousand, that's like sixteen hundred dollars a month. And that's then you very can, hard to live on. You, no one's living on sixteen hundred a month. I, I mean I know one person, he's super most frugal guy I know. But if you add it up as annual expenditures, it's more than that. Just his regular like lifestyle is probably like sixteen hundred bucks. But he buys other things that are outside of that. Mm-hmm. So for a normal person saying, hey, can I retire? You got Social Security. So you add up your Social Security and 4% of 500,000. I mean, you know, best case scenario, maybe you're getting four or 5,000 a month. It's it's going to be challenging for people that I believe to make it on 500,000, make it last. Because all it takes is a couple health care scares, a big unexpected expense, you need a new vehicle, um, and you can do it. You're just going to have to be pretty diligent about, about what you're spending money on. And then, you know, there's always the wild card. If they have a pension, if they have a pension, all this, this changes, you know, people never look at the amount they're getting in a pension and kind of turn it into a, a numerical value. 
And what I mean by that, if someone comes in with a $50,000 pension, Elias, they just, they could have a $50,000 pension and no money saved. Just use this scenario. Most people, they go, man, I've done a poor job saving. And maybe, you know, you have on just purely looking at dollars. But if someone has a $50,000 pension, arguably using that safe withdrawal rate, they'd have to have $1.2 million to drive that. So I run into that a lot with teachers. So like, man, you know, I just haven't saved that much. And they might have 250 saved plus their IPERS pension. But they're probably going to have a better retirement than a lot of people who save five hundred or seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, they will, and that's what that's what I was thinking too. With this other question, can you afford to retire on less than five hundred? Well, there are people who can. They usually have a pension along with their social security. So in our state, that's going to be your IPERS employees, and that's a very good pension, and the benefits are nice. Uh, and a lot of it seems like sometimes people end up. Like the first year they retire, they either make what they were making when they were working or sometimes more. So in that scenario, yeah, you can't afford to retire on less than than 500000 because you're always going to have, you have two income sources that are not going to go away. You might spend all that money faster than you want to. You might not be able to spend that money and leave some like as legacy dollars or inheritance for your kids and grandkids. But all those things are kind of, those are kind of uh side things anyway that really aren't that relevant they are relevant if you can do it but if it's just about how do i make my retirement work sometimes those other things aren't at the forefront so i i agree with that and i think that the the wild card in all this is a pension you hit that on the head that if you have two pensions if you had a husband and wife who are teachers or have any any type of pension i'm just using teachers in the state of iowa because ipers is their primary source of retirement income arguably they could be making more and they're you know, when they first retire with their social security check and their pension, they could be making as much or more than they were when they were actually teaching. Yeah. So I, we've seen it. So, it and this, this is what's challenging about, a, you know, we do financial planning. This is where you can't just throw it into the computer. Well, if they had no money saved, arguably their probability of success is zero. Right. Because they're out of money right away, even though they're going to have this eight, nine or ten thousand dollar income. And they're always going to figure out how people always figure out how to make it work. Well, yeah, I mean, I I would think most people, if they had two IPERS pensions of four thousand a month and two Social Security checks of eighteen hundred bucks, they they could figure out how to make it on eleven or twelve thousand a month. Yeah. And the other kind of the other side of the flip side of this question, can you afford to retire on less than five hundred thousand? Now, we certainly have clients that could not clients that have more money or and have a higher lifestyle they could not afford to retire on less than five hundred thousand dollars just to to keep their same lifestyle they have while they're working it just requires more money so it's not possible just think about real estate in general if you owned a house in marion where i live and you have a half a million dollar house well your taxes are ten thousand a year so so if you got five hundred thousand that's what you have yeah, and you over and you overbought your house, right? Like you could have your house paid for. You could have a half million dollar house paid for, but your taxes are ten grand. So you got eight hundred a month, eight fifty a month, just going to taxes out of your out of your twenty thousand. Half of it's going to taxes. So you could have done everything right, but you still can't afford to retire on that five hundred. Now I could have the same person who has a $150,000 house and their taxes are 3000 bucks and they can probably make it work. 
So a lot of people think, hey, I'm debt free. My house is paid for, which is the goal for everybody. But there's so many other layers behind what you're spending in retirement. And, and it's one of the things we talk to people about when they're getting ready to retire is the number one thing we need to know. How much are you going to spend on an annual basis on just getting by what I have to have to meet the daily liabilities or expenses that I have? And then two, what are we going to spend on the fun stuff? And I always appreciate, I have some clients that come in and they've been using Quicken or some other, and, and it's not a plug for Quicken, just some other accounting software. And they'll pull their expenses and break it out between, hey, this is how much we spend on the pure necessities. And then we spent X amount on travel and out to eat. And this is the stuff that we could cut if we had to. Because the goal for retirement is not to have people cut anything. It's to maintain your lifestyle. I mean, you know. Yeah, let's figure out how to make it work. Let's make this what you want it to be. And I think people should understand that the first few years in retirement, those are going to be more expensive than the middle years. Now, we, when we've been doing financial plan, using financial planning software for what, 18 years, 15 years, somewhere in there. And the one thing that I've really realized over my 20 years doing this is that people underestimate how much they're going to spend in the early years, but they overestimate how much they're going to spend from like 75 to 85. You know, they come in here and they say, yep, I need to spend $8,000 a month every year for every year in retirement. Well, unless you have debt or just some really expensive reoccurring bills, when you're 78 years old, what are you spending 8,000 on? And when you're 50, it's easy to think, oh yeah, I'll be in great health. I'll still be traveling and doing all that stuff. Go survey people 75 to 82 and see how many expensive vacations they take a year. And it's not that they can't. It's just, it's not as easy as it was. They don't get around as good. They've already done it all, maybe. Like, yeah. They just don't do it. And I just, they just spend less during that period of their life. And one of the really cool things about when we're doing a financial plan is we can really dive in and say, hey, we're going to spend more during the first 10 years than we are that second 10 years. The second 10 years we call the, the slow go phase, right? It's when we slow down and don't really have the motivation to go on vacation, but we can model all that for people and really try to give them a good idea of what their retirement looks like. And that's where I know we talked about the safe withdrawal right earlier. And I have a little bit of problem with that because that just says you get to spend 4% every year. Well, number one, we don't know if that'll work. You might be able to spend six or 7% early on if you dial it way back later on it. There's just all so many scenarios that can be done to determine what's really optimal for somebody to do so that they can live the retirement they want, not have to drastically change their lifestyle long-term in retirement. So I just went through this exercise with um, some new clients. They're prospective clients when I was meeting with them and they had met with us and a couple other firms. And I already knew it was going to be kind of like a, I had to just kind of walk a lot, this line a little cautiously because one of the things they were a little upset about was they had been told that what they want to spend is too much. And just based on before I ever put the plan together, I knew that answer was true. Yes. I know that's not a sustainable withdrawal rate for them for 
30 years. Well, what I was able to do was go walk them through the, the exercise and okay, some of it was, well, their house is going to be paid off in five years. So, you know, that's $2,000 a month that can come out of the spending. So I was able to schedule that. They have one vehicle that's going to be paid off in three years. So then I'm able to schedule that coming out. And for them, I was able to, to show them how, so some of these expenses go away. This makes your planning better. And, and I, I appreciate that you want to plan for this is the lifestyle we really want. But at some point I know their spending's going to slow down and they weren't that far off. They really just needed to spend like $1,500 less on a monthly basis in order to make it work for the long term, But for them, I was a, I was able to quantify it for them and show them through a financial plan and show them, show them the actual withdrawal rate and explain why that doesn't make sense. Your, your withdrawal rates just so far outpacing the returns you can expect to make. And all they wanted to know was, well, is it possible to make it work? So I was able to work with them. Yes, it is possible to make it work, but I don't want you to think, I don't want you to have an unrealistic expectation that you can, you can spend that kind of money every month for the next 30 years. Can you do it for the next 10 to 15? Yeah, you can. Though the difference in the long-term planning is how much is going to be left at the end. But that's I, I, a different conversation. You made a really good point because we talk with people all the time about probabilities of success and where we're shooting for 80% or higher. One of the things we're doing, though, is we're trying to be conservative on the projections. We don't want to paint this rosy picture for somebody and then it doesn't work out. If somebody comes in with a 50% probability of success, we view that as a failed plan. And the client views that as failure because when you were in school, if you got 50% on a test, you failed. Yeah. Well, what 50% yeah. really means is 50% of the time when you're 91 and 93, you still have money in the plan and 50% of the time you don't. It's not that you failed, but we view 50% as just absolute failure. Back to your clients, they said, could it work? Yeah, at 50% probability, it could still work. You're just bringing in a little bit more element of luck is involved in that type of planning. Doesn't mean it won't work. And then, oh, by the way, what might have to happen when you're 82, you might have to scale back your spending. Yeah, and that's I'm setting that expectation going in. And I had the conversation with them about that. I said, all this really means for me is I know that we can make this work for you, but I want you to understand there may be a time where I have to have a conversation that the spending's too much and we do need to cut back. It, it's going to, to depend on their goals too, because I can tell that they're on the fence about leaving money for their kids. So for them, as that gets... I don't know. I can't tell if it's very important to them or not important at all, but I think time will tell, right? As they're live, as they're retired, living their lifestyle, I th it's going to be, that'll be a decision for them. Some plans you can say, yep, you can have your lifestyle and you can plan to leave X amount of dollars. We can make that work. But for them, there's going to kind of be a fork in the road at some point. And they're fine with that. But I just needed that expectation to be known up front instead of saying, yeah, I can make, you know, this is going to be great forever. Elias, one of the things I think that I run into when I, I do a plan and somebody maybe feels like they haven't saved enough is they have some type of retirement regret. So I thought it'd be good to hit what we see 
as retirement regrets that, that, that common commonality of what people have told us they regret doing. And I think the number one common regret, and it doesn't matter if it's you or me, I'll, I'll be the same way. I wish I would have saved sooner. Not that I didn't mm-hmm. save early, but I still wish I would have saved more sooner. Yeah. And I wish I would have saved more 10 years ago. I know I could have done a little bit more than I did. And yeah. I mean, I, I should have every person in life. I shouldn't say every, but a vast majority of people are looking back saying, man, when I was 23 years old and I graduated college, cause you know, five year plan, I wish I would have saved an extra 50 bucks. Can you think about how you save spent $50 a month? It's probably oh, on a couple of cases of Bush light. Yeah. When you're 23, 24, 25, you waste so much money on stuff. It's unreal. But in, so that's the number one regret people waiting too long to save or not saving enough. And if you think about why that is, it's because they start to see how compound interest works and they could have been so much further ahead by utilizing saving when they're young. And one of the things I had a conversation with somebody, I don't remember where I was, but they asked me about custodial Roth IRAs. What I thought, and I said, well, your child's working and they have some income. It's probably a pretty good idea to do it if they can afford to do it. Because at the end of the day, every dollar you put away for a child who's 14 and 15, it has just this massive exponential growth on it. That could, the custodial Roth could be one of the most like underutilized strategies out there. A kid starts working, it wouldn't be that hard to save a hundred bucks a month for them as long as they can, you know, as long as they're eligible to do it. Uh, but at least get them started. If you start, if you start at 14, 15, whenever you first start working, I mean, that's any dollars you save. They're just going to have so long to be invested. I just, I don't know if it's maybe our industry does a bad job of, hey, you know, this is an option that you can do for your kids. I just feel like it is somewhat of an underutilized uh, planning tool or a saving strategy, I guess. So here's a really cool statistic, uh, or I guess just math. And if parents would share this with their kids or grandparents share with their grandkids how this actually works. But let's say you set a goal to save a million dollars by the time you retire. You're, you have a 25 year old and says, I want a million dollars by the time I'm 65. We'll assume 7% rate of return. Let's be conservative here. 7%. That person would need to save $403 a month starting at 25. If you told most people, if you save $400 a month, you could be a millionaire at 65. I think they might think about doing it. And and this is what really gets me thinking about things. What's the average car payment in America right now? Isn't it like seven or 800? It's it's like $730. So for half of your car payment, you could be a millionaire if you applied the money there. So instead of buying a $40,000 car, you buy yourself a $20,000 car. Assuming you finance, if you don't finance it even better, but it's amazing. $400 a month by the time you're 65 will get you a million dollars. Now here's what's even more amazing. If you wait till you're 30, now you have to save 582 a month to get there. So you get a million dollars at 65, saving 582 a month. The person who waited five years has to save $75,000 more over their lifetime to get the same benefit. That, that adds up really fast, the extra savings you have to do. 
Well, it's that's a lot. Seventy five thousand over. Here's what I mean. It's spread out over thirty five or forty years. That's still a lot more that you actually have to save to accomplish the same thing. Here's what people actually aren't thinking about. It was four hundred. Now it's five eighty two. So if you wait till thirty, you have to have one hundred eighty two dollars a month of lifestyle than if you would have just started at twenty five. Because you'd just be saving your four hundred. Now you actually have to spend more of your lifestyle since you waited until yeah. 30. It's not just more money. It's less lifestyle. Well, most people, as they get older, what do they want? More lifestyle. They want to go out to eat. Well, delaying just kills your lifestyle later. And we see it. We see people that don't start till they're 45. Now they're saving. I mean, they're going to have to save 20, 25% of every check. And then they wonder why they don't have a whole lot of extra money to do fun stuff. Because they delayed it. So getting started early, it's probably the number one thing we see or number one regret that we hear from people. Number two, and we actually run into this, and I believe this is because of lack of financial education. It's investing too conservatively in their youth. We we see this a lot, and it's either... Uh, you know, I, I don't really know what causes it. It seems like either we have really, and we do, we have a lot of people who are very young and have done a great job saving. When I say young, I'm not talking 30, they're mid forties to mid fifties and they've done really, really well. Well, now they're starting to have, they a lot of them probably have more money than they ever thought that they would have, or maybe they didn't know it was possible. And we get that question. Is it time to become more conservative. And then especially now, right, because of a bear market, then people really start to wonder. And a lot of people, and whether you've been diligent your whole life saving or you were a super saver, it it really doesn't matter. But this is my personal opinion. Too many people, they kind of take their foot off the gas way too early in their savings. And if it's the fluctuations, you just got to know that that's how investing works. You're going, your account's going to go up and down in value. But if you've are, if you have all those basic habits, you're living within your means, you're saving money, you, you just got to stick through it. And I think if you're going to change anything, can you save 5% more of your paycheck? Cause we're in a down market. It's probably a good time to do that if you can. And the third and last most common kind of regret that we run into is dipping into retirement funds. And Unfortunately, a lot of people do it. They go in there and they raid their Roth IRA for their cost basis. They take a 401k loan from the 401k. And while on paper, you're like, well, yeah, I'm paying it back. If you take a loan on your 401k, you're paying it back over some period of time. Let's just say five years. Well, if the market happens to just go up seven or 8% a year, you lost all that interest. And most of the time, Loans on 401ks can be prevented. Most of these loans aren't taken because they're in dire straits. They're taken for something that I would consider as a lifestyle. Hey, I don't have enough for the down payment of the house. Don't have enough to buy this. Need to take a vacation. And it's just easy to go get it because you're borrowing money from your 401k. It's kind of your money, but it just kills your long-term care or your long-term growth. And then if you happen to leave the job, it just opens up a whole another can of worms that causes problems. It, it does. And to me, this is a, this is a huge, this is a no, no, just don't even do it. 
it's just it's so detrimental i mean even if it's if it's a small amount of money it just doesn't make sense especially when you can if you have some debt you need to pay off you might have to borrow some money but if you can get a reasonable interest rate and you're still going to be better off so yeah i just I don't know. I don't ever like seeing people do this. I don't like facilitating it, but at the ultimately sometimes we have to, but it's just such a, such a bad decision. In my opinion, this is th- th- your retirement funds is like the last resort. You know, you're sick and can't work and you have to have money. Well, that's one thing, you know, that's maybe why it's there, but most of the time, let's just try to stay out of the retirement dollars because your Roth IRA, you're not going to be able to put that cost basis back. That's not a loan. So you lost those dollars. I mean, you can't put those back. The 401k, you lost the time value of money. Hopefully you don't switch jobs and default on that loan. Otherwise you have 10% penalties and all these different things. So those are the three most common retirement regrets that we have. Elias, it was really great to have you back on the show. I'm happy you welcomed another little taxpayer into this into this world. Do you have any other closing remarks? No, I'm I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me back, and yeah, hopefully I can get my uh my little taxpayers working as soon as possible and contributing like the rest of us. So now I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're looking for any help with anything, you can go to btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.